0: Good morning. Welcome to Prairie Hill in Jesus' beautiful name. Our text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I invite you to make your way to chapter 9 of uh, Luke's Gospel. We're at the very end of chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. That's our text this morning, and... uh, I just want to let you know that I really need this text. I like to say um, that I'm a Christ follower. I might even have that phrase on one of my social media accounts, you know, Matt, you know, pastor, dad, Christ follower, something like that. I like to say that I'm a Christ follower, but the reality is um, I'm someone who follows Christ in the way that I want and at the time that I want to. Jesus loses a lot of face-offs in my life. And so I really need this text. I imagine that there are others here who might need it, need it as well. In this text, Jesus speaks with would-be followers and he is completely unsympathetic to the little qualifications that they make to their following. And we're gonna see that happen here in these six verses. The lack of sympathy that Jesus has for their different notions of what following him is like and we're going to see Jesus reveal the true nature of what it means to follow him and unless I'm greatly mistaken I think that there is an awesome opportunity for repentance here today Uh, first of all by me and then in the room at large and that's really good an opportunity for repentance any day is really good. So let's read the text and then we'll, we'll get into it, okay? If you're able to, to stand for the reading of the word, I invite you to do that. We only have six verses in front of us today and this is what we read. Luke chapter nine, beginning in verse 57. As they were going along the road... And uh, remember here, they're on the way to Jerusalem. We, We learned that in verse 51. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's Jesus, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, Heavenly Father, um, many of us uh, come here and just um, all our cards on the table, Father, um, we're anxious. Many of us um, are ashamed. Many of us are tired. Coming to a gathering of people, even a gathering of Christians, can, can be hard for us, Father. And life can be hard for us. Therefore, we rejoice that we have a teacher and a savior who has said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you that this is who Jesus is. And along with that word, Father, of come to me and I will give you rest, we want to take seriously what we find, the words we find in his mouth here and what we just read. Some, some hard things, things that we need to hear. And so I pray that we would learn all that you have um, provided for us to learn, make us good stewards of this truth. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, please be seated. We're here in this passage to find out what our following of Jesus should be like. And we do learn three characteristics that should mark our following of him. There are three things that we can learn about the nature of our following, and they correspond to the three interactions that Jesus has with these different people. And so we'll take them each in turn, okay? The first thing that we learn starting at the beginning is that our following should be informed. That's verses 57 through 58. We learn... That our following of Jesus should be an informed following. There's someone here that does not have an accurate picture of what following Jesus will be like. He makes a really big claim. That's in verse 57. Notice the really big claim I will follow you wherever you go. Now, where's Jesus going? Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is going to a place of complete rejection and humiliation and suffering. Jesus is going to a really hard place. It's fair and it's true to say that Jesus is at this point pursuing a hard obedience. What's Jesus doing at this moment in time as he's making this walk, this journey to Jerusalem? It's fair and it's true to say he's pursuing a hard obedience. He's walking out in obedience to the Father's will. And in support of that statement, we could cite John 14, Philippians 2, Luke 22, This idea that Jesus in pursuing the cross is pursuing not only something hard, but an obedience to the Father's will for him. Jesus is pursuing a really, really, really hard obedience. And this person who makes this claim about following Jesus wherever he goes simply has not realized the difficulty of the path ahead. So Jesus informs him That's what happens in verse 58. He gives this person more information. In contrast to the comfortable existence of foxes and birds, the son of man, that's Jesus, has nowhere to lay his head. What's he communicating? Person who just made the big claim in verse 57. Don't be uninformed in your following. The path ahead is difficult. So I put the question to you. Have you understood that about your following of Jesus? Is your following of him an informed following or are you just making big claims about being a Christ follower? Let's get more specific and um, let's get really personally invasive, okay? Okay. Do you realize that Jesus is leading you toward hard obediences? Is that your expectation for the Christian life? It should be. If we claim to be Christ followers, we should understand, oh, I'm gonna be led toward some really hard obediences. That's the direction that Jesus is headed. Why would it be any different for us? And we've been told right here in verse 58, hey, you who are making big claims, this is gonna be hard. How hard? Really, 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 really hard. And many of us have bent Christianity to conform to the lives that we want to live. We bend Christianity to conform to the life that we want to live. The authentic call, the true call, the true nature of following Jesus is bending our will to submit to the Father. And that means hard obediences, obediences that we may not understand, obediences that we may think are unreasonable. That's the nature of obeying. We do the will of another in spite of what we think or what we want to do. And sometimes it feels really bad and we feel deprived. And often we feel like we're losing. And often it's uncomfortable. Just remember that Jesus has told you from the outset, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This hard path is uncomfortable. if you are offering the Father a hard obedience right now, maybe you're forgiving someone that you don't want to forgive. Maybe you're abstaining from something that you don't want to abstain from. Maybe you're praying for someone that you really don't feel like praying for. Maybe you're waiting for something that you don't want to wait for. Your consolation in offering God the Father that hard obedience, your consolation is that you are out there living the Christian life while others only claim to be. So, first, what we learn is that our following should be informed, receive the information. God the Father is leading you toward hard obediences. If you're going through something hard, if you're offering God a hard obedience, that's not unusual. That's, that's the normal Christian life. Um, frankly, I need to hear that today. God's leading me to places of hard obedience. So we want to be informed. Second, our following should be immovable. This is the middle conversation. Verses 59 and 60. Okay, so we get, we get the first point. Our following should be informed. We've gotten that. The second thing we learn about the true nature of following him is that our following should be immovable. And one of my great problems, probably one of our great problems, is that we like to make little accommodations for ourselves along the way. We make for ourselves, in our following of Jesus, we make for ourselves what we feel like, what we think are reasonable accommodations to this Christian walk. And we can get to the point where we think that some measure of sin is excusable in a reasonable accommodation as long as it's accompanied by several hours, several days, several weeks of good behavior we might think we deserve a little accommodation you know a christian even a even what we could call a professional christian and by that i just mean someone who does ministry for a living even someone like that can get to the point where they think you know the sacrifices that I've made for the sake of Christ in my life, all of this travel, all of the burden of fame, all of the time spent meeting people and being nice and all this effort into preparation and education and all these speaking engagements and all of this sacrifice have taken such a toll on me that I deserve and even need something that God has called evil. It's okay for that to be part of my life. That's an accommodation that God is willing to grant me because I've done all this other stuff. One of the most high-profile Christian, who we would have called Christian leaders and recognizable speakers of our time, within the last five decades, one of the most high-profile people had that exact line of thought by his own testimony That's what he had convinced himself. He thought he deserved an accommodation. And there are all other kinds of accommodations we might be tempted to make to a true following of Jesus. We may think, you know, I'm excused from giving because I don't have that much. Or we may think, I'm excused from forgiving because I've suffered so much. We may think, I'm excused from speaking because I don't speak very well. I'm excused from leading because I'm young. I'm excused from speaking the truth because I have a family to provide for. And if I speak the truth, I might lose my job and I've got a family to provide for. So I can't do that. I'm excused from loving because I don't feel I'm excused from washing the feet of the saints because the saints have sinned against me. I'm excused from submitting to my leaders because I disagree with them. And on and on and on and on it goes. And we claimed that we're following Jesus but we we all have our own list of what we think are reasonable accommodations. The accommodations that we've made so that the path that we're following only leads to pleasant places of our own choosing with enough sin sprinkled in there so we don't feel like we're missing out. And I just want to ask you to notice something with me about verse 59. The man has been invited to follow Jesus. And he doesn't just ask for an accommodation. He asks for the most reasonable, understandable, and noble accommodation that we could possibly think of. The man's father has died and he wants to be at the funeral. He wants to do his his part in laying his father to rest. And if we've had a good father, who among us wouldn't move heaven and earth to make sure we were there? There's no one missing that. This is the most honorable, reasonable, and noble accommodation we can imagine. And Jesus is not moved at all. Jesus doesn't sympathize with his requests and it's not granted. Now let me ask you a question and it's a question that just might save your life, your family, your your legacy. It'll certainly save your joy. If Jesus did not grant a noble accommodation, the most noble thing we can think of, what would ever make us think that he would grant an ignoble, ignoble accommodation? Do not believe the lie that sin can ever be a reasonable accommodation to make to your following. Our following of Jesus must rather be immovable, that is, without accommodation. And one of the reasons that we come to church and that we come every week and that we listen to the word preached is to remind ourselves how desperately wicked our hearts are, how faithful and true our Savior is. And today we are reminded, don't trust the accommodations that your heart is asking you to make. Because Jesus has dismissed all accommodations with this one dismissal of the most noble thing we could ever think of. They're all off the table after this one. And he has simply said, Follow me. And regarding Jesus' response to the man, I did want to say something about what Jesus says to him that leave the dead to bury their, their own dead. He says to him, This is, um, this is verse 60. Jesus' response to the man is, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think it's helpful to understand what Jesus is saying to guard us against thinking that uh, Jesus was not compassionate or could ever be regarded as callous um, because he didn't make an accommodation for this man to go and help bury his father. Jesus' reply is basically this. So let's understand what he's saying. His reply is basically this. Leave the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. Let those people who have not repented and believed the gospel, who are spiritually in their sins, who are dead, leave those ones to bury those who are physically dead. That's what He means when he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. How could a dead person bury another dead person? It's because he means the spiritually dead. Leave the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. As for you, as for you who are spiritually alive, this would be the reciprocal statement. As for you, you who are spiritually alive, you go and make others alive through the proclamation of the gospel. That's Jesus' mission, to go find the spiritually dead and bring them to spiritual life through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what he sends this man out to do. You who are spiritually alive, go and bring others to spiritual life. And we could say a lot more about this, about how the nature of our following is not just avoiding certain things, but it's playing an active role in bringing the dead to life through the proclamation of the kingdom of God. This is also the will of the father that you and I who are following Christ would engage in that kind of ministry. The father is seeking worshipers and he has given us the ministry of going out and gathering them for the father. We could talk a lot more about that. For now, we're just gonna limit ourselves to this one idea from this one exchange, this middle exchange that our following is to be immovable. That is, we make no accommodations for ourselves, not even noble ones. All right, so we're making a course correction today. We're moving away from false and comfortable notions of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and we're moving toward the true idea, the true nature of being a Christ follower. And so we've noticed our following is to be informed. That is, okay, I'm being led to hard obediences. I get it. That's part of, it's part of the journey. It's part of the walk. Following is to be immovable. We don't make any accommodations for noble or ignoble things. We obey the command to follow. And this last thing that we notice This is verse 61 and 62 at the end is that our following is to be immediate. There it is, informed, immovable, immediate. The man tells Jesus that he will follow him later. There's something else that he wants to do first. Verse 61, I will, I will follow you, Lord, but first. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. For him, following Jesus is something that can be done later. There are other things he wants to do first. First. Now let's notice that this last man who we meet is making an assumption, isn't he? What's the assumption he's making? He is assuming that both the desire and the opportunity to follow Jesus that he has now will also be there later. the desire and the opportunity are before him in that moment and he lets the moment pass assuming that it will come again and it may but it may not something happened last month that I'm pretty sure is going to stay with me forever I don't, I don't think there's any way possible I'll ever be able to get over it. Many of you know that um, my wife lost her father last month, my father-in-law. And services in his honor were held in September in Memphis, so we were at the services in mid-September in Memphis and there was a, a funeral service and prior to the funeral service, there was a visitation. Lots of family, lots of friends, um, church members, everyone coming to um, greet the family and among them, among the people who came to support the family and greet them was this man named Jack and um, in a previous season of life, he had played a, a really big role in the life of uh, one of Molly's brothers and been a family friend for, for a long time. Friendship, mentoring, all those kind of things. And, so, and he came to the visitation. And I, I didn't get to speak with him, but he passed just a few feet in front of me. And I, I took note of him, I, I noticed who he was. Probably in his mid 60s, and he was dressed really nicely. He was at the funeral for a friend. And a week later, in the very same room, a week later, in the very same room, his friends were at his funeral. He was the picture of health And 48 hours after he passed in front of me, within 48 hours after he passed in front of me at that visitation, in spite of all probability and against all the odds, he died. No warning. Gone to be with the Lord. The mistake of the man that we meet in verse 61 is to be human and have all of history as our teacher and to still think that the desire and opportunity in front of you now will be there later. Life is unpredictable. Healthy people die. We attend a funeral and we think, well, someday that'll be me, never expecting or knowing that we're within our last 48 hours. The only guarantee, the only thing in hand right now in this moment is that you have breath, and Christ invites you to come to him now and for the love of God go I think <clears throat> I think Jesus response to this man demonstrates that Jesus knows something about our hearts I think he knows that if this man goes home instead of following him, this man looks in the eyes of his family and experiences all the comforts of home. When it becomes a face-off between Jesus and the difficult path and these things I love at home. Home and family will win that face-off Almost every time. When we allow ourselves time to pit Jesus against other things, other things that we love, our hearts will find a way to rationalize choosing the other thing. I've only seen it about a billion times in my life. What's the solution? let your following be immediate don't give your heart time to present arguments or your eyes the opportunity to gaze on those things those other things that you love rival loves so we say we want to be christ followers Christ Himself presents you with this. Let your following be informed. Let it be immovable. And let it be immediate. And uh, as your friend and your pastor, I want you to know that I'm cheering you on. You do a difficult thing. And I hope you'll cheer me on. And at least today we have this going for us that the facade has been removed and we've seen and we understand the true nature of our following, okay? Amen. Father, we um, just feel like in these moments want to recalibrate and, um, and repent from the ways we've followed a path of our own choosing while saying that we're following Christ. And we just also want to recognize before you that these things are really hard, that um, our resolve feels really small, that there's a, a large dis- de- degree of skepticism in our hearts and just a history of failures. And It's never too late to do the right thing. We don't want to presume upon grace by just thinking from the outset, you know, well, I'm just gonna rely on this pillow of grace all the way. We we really do want to follow. We really do give thanks that you are forgiving and gracious when our, our following is not faithful. And we really do give thanks for Jesus that he's followed perfectly In our place and offered that to you. But Father, so we won't rob ourselves of joy and won't rob our families of joy, and so that we might present the world a a true picture of this beautiful Jesus, we ask for a greater measure of grace, not in terms of forgiveness, but in terms of holy living, the grace to follow Jesus Christ in all the joy that lies ahead. So we pray for your help in our weakness. And we thank you for the chance to look into the word today, the perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen.